Welcome to Green Tea, sustainable stories from Bowdoin's campus and beyond. My name is Holden Turner. And I'm Juliette Min. Green Tea is a production of the Office of Sustainability at Bowdoin College, sharing the perspectives of students, staff, and community members. So um, today we're talking with Ken Cardone. How would you describe, what's your role? What's your role here, Ken? Uh, I'm the interim director of dining services. Uh, I oversee all the dining operations with assistance uh, from a very talented management team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we cover a lot of territory. Um, so, and how long have you been here at Bowdoin? I've been here, I'm going on my 32nd year. Wow, wow. 32 years here. And so, that whole time, have you been working on the dining side of things? I've been working on the dining mm-hmm. side, and there's been many changes uh, in 32 years. Uh, mm-hmm. Renovations, uh, new construction. Uh, the dining program changes every year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, given the fact that 25% of our customer base changes every year, <laughs> we're always looking to change things up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Can you walk us through some of those changes, maybe some of the major changes that um, you have gone through throughout your 30 plus years at dining? When I arrived on campus, uh, the first week I was here, um, dining employers were processing blueberries. They were buying local blueberries uh, and actually uh, uh, cleaning them and freezing them and packaging them. Uh, and then the, toward the end of that week, they brought in, it must have been 1,500 pounds of haddock, a fresh haddock that was processed and frozen mm-hmm. to use during the uh, off-season. Yeah. So Bowdoin has a long history of using local fresh food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found that was, I, I was just absolutely impressed with that. Uh, and, and we're doing that to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's part of the culture to use local fresh food. And then, of course, we cut our own meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the years, that program has grown. Uh, we uh, purchased more processing equipment. We were able to make hamburger patties much more efficiently now. We mm-hmm. grind our own patties, mm-hmm. uh, grind our own beef, make our own patties, uh, our own sausages, our own chicken patties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that process has increased. But you know, dining habits of students have changed dramatically from 30 years ago. You could feed the entire campus population with 10 pounds of Brussels sprouts 30 years ago. <laughs> and, and right now, if you roast Brussels sprouts, you're probably going through 200, 200 pounds easily. Uh, it's, it's just a different world. Everybody's eating a little differently. They're more aware of where their food comes from. And that's actually been very nice for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's something that uh, we we took the ball, we ran with that. You know, if there's an interest in this, you know, we can really create a nice program. Mm-hmm. Uh, because no matter what you prepare, you want everybody to eat it. So yeah. there has to be that need. And it is a matter of pushing everybody's boundaries a little bit beyond their comfort level so they try something new. Uh, yeah. And we had great success with that. I mean, I saw mm-hmm. on the menu last week there was some goat uh, on the menu, and, and my roommates and I all tried that, and we, we loved it. It was delicious. You know, something like that. We uh, meet once a week, mm-hmm. uh, all the chefs and the, and the uh, uh, unit managers, and we have a, what we call a menu meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we go over everything. We're out four or five, sometimes six weeks, especially with COVID. We're really working uh, well in advance uh, to determine what we can do with the menu. And we try to look at that menu and say, okay, what can we do to build some interest? Uh, what's new, what's coming up, what's seasonal, 
and those menus are constantly rewritten. Mm -hmm. I imagine, so I'm Korean American and once a week we see either some Asian cuisine out on the dining menu or like Korean tacos on the menu and those days it makes me very happy. Was that an intentional choice on the part of dining to try to incorporate a lot of new types of uh, foods from different cultures to maybe accommodate for like, the different types of students who are starting to show up on campus? Yeah, it, it's interesting because uh, we use comment cards. They're usually posted in the front of each dining room. It is an online version. Uh, that is valuable information for dining mm -hmm. services. Uh, when we start receiving comment cards, we use that as a barometer to adjust our program. We also, we're also fortunate enough to have a large student workforce. Mm -hmm. So we have the ability to ask questions, you know, we ask them to make suggestions. Uh, we also look at trends in the industry. You know, what are the popular food items? What, what is popular right now? One thing I noticed about Bowdoin, although you feature popular items that are, are currently being served out in the industry, there's some comfort foods here everybody comes back to. So when you write that menu, you want that balance of comfort foods uh, and new and interesting food. And you just have to keep it changing. You know, you're, you could be in dining, you could come to a dining room 21 times a week. I mean, that can get old very quickly. So you really have to put some thought into what you're serving and you have to shake it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I can see that there's like a bit of an art to it, to creating this <laughs> menu, but um, what initially inspired you to work in the industry of dining? I've been working in college food service uh, for a long time. Oh, so you were somewhere else before Bowdoin? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I actually started off many, many years ago at Bryant University. Uh, I worked there for a period of time. Then I went to school, and then I was offered a position at Salve Regina University in mm -hmm. Rhode Island. And then I worked for a food service corporation and they moved me around a lot because I was doing a lot of catering. So I was my skills were utilized in that respect before I came to Bowdoin. So I have a sense of the industry from that side and also that the catering side. I mean, did a lot of catering in, in Rhode Island. Yeah, nice. So I'd love to shift to talking about the last year, which I know from uh, hearing from you a little bit in other contexts has been a massive undertaking for the entire program. So um, can you talk us through what the thinking was at the outset and how that's, that ball has kept rolling ever since? It's been an interesting year to say the least. Yeah. Um, once we uh, made the decision to bring students back on campus in the fall, we really had to take a look at our operations and what we had to adjust to meet COVID guidelines. So traffic patterns, traffic flow, keeping people distanced, how we were gonna get them in and out of the building efficiently, what signage was needed, what the program was going to look like on the student side, mm -hmm. what the program was gonna involve on the production employee side. It went through many changes before we brought it to completion. Uh, we actually brought in an outside architect to help us with flow we had to evaluate HVAC systems in the buildings to make sure they were adequate. And we're very fortunate because dining operations move a tremendous amount of air. So we were fortunate in that respect. That's great. The exhaust hoods and yeah. production kitchens. And then we started looking at the program. Once we got through the mechanics 
Okay, this is how you're going to come in. This is how you're going to go out. This is where you need a plexiglass barrier. Mm -hmm. Then we decided that in order for it to be efficient, we had to rearrange the serving lines. Some equipment had to be pulled out. We had to bring some equipment in. If you notice Molten Union, the exit on the Moore Hall side of the serving line, you use it a, a, it's an emergency exit that now has an awning over it. Mm -hmm. So we really made several changes to accommodate the COVID guidelines. And I'm glad we put that thought into it mm -hmm. uh, because the number of students that were able to feed and get through the line efficiently, it, you know, it's worked. Well, and it's paid off, especially as you can see in the last week, as all the students have seen in the last week when um, Molten Union had to close for a short period of time and everyone had to transition to Thorn. Thorn all of a sudden had to accommodate double the amount of students. And I think the average transaction time or the average, it was about 11 minutes. I mean, there was some times it was a longer wait, but mm -hmm. it averaged about 11 minutes mm -hmm. at peak meal periods. Mm -hmm. And and we ended up putting uh, uh, cameras that are available online so you can actually see the queuing area and, and make a determination whether you want to go to the dining room at that time. And I think that was, uh, that was very helpful. And it's something that I hope to maintain uh, through next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What has been the sentiment with some of the dining employees now that they are maybe finding that they have less interactions with students overall? Are they finding it more difficult to keep up with these COVID guidelines? First semester, we had very few student employees in here. We were feeding less students also. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to tell you, they were messed. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a part of our daily life is interacting with students. Yeah. yeah. And not having the ability to do that, it, it left uh, it left a void. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you need that interaction. It's part of why we work here. <laughs> you know, it really is. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's, that's it. And when we were able to bring more student employees on and we had more interaction, it increased morale. Mm -hmm. It was something that uh, everybody looks forward to. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also a barometer of uh, what we do on campus. You know, we're always asking for feedback. And when you don't have the dining room available and you don't have people milling around, you can't stop and chat with somebody. You're trying to get them in and out as fast as you can. So you really, you miss that. That, that mm -hmm. really did leave a hole. Yeah. And on the side of employment for my friends and people who I know around who work in dining on campus, I myself worked first year in Thorn. Um, it, it is also some, a part of the routine that you do miss. It's, it's nice to make a little bit of money through dining, but it's also nice just to have a, a place where you can go and not really think about homework, just think about doing your job and interacting with other employees. It's a nice space. It's one that I know the friends that I had missed a lot. Some yeah. of our best ideas came from our student employees oh, yeah? and through the comment board. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the items that we serve were uh, actually family favorites. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, and it, it's, uh, and they've actually, uh, they work, they've been on the menu for, for a period of time. Uh, so, you know, we look for that input. Yeah, what's an example of that? Yeah. Uh, you know, we did, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the student, but it's a chicken dish done with pasta. Mm. Max baked macaroni. Oh. Uh, was actually a student recipe from his family. Oh. And that stayed on the menu for just a number of years. Uh, and there's several more because we used to do a program where it was uh, we submitted favorite recipes mm -hmm. uh, and we still do it at certain times of the year. Uh, and that's how we were able to change our menus and keep that and keep it fresh. Yeah. On the sourcing side of things, I also know that's changed a lot too. Can you tell us a story about a product or a set of products whose sourcing has been changed drastically over this past year? 
when COVID, uh, when the pandemic hit, the supply stream really suffered. Yeah. When businesses started to reopen, everybody was using takeout containers. So the paper market, the supplies were, they were in short supply if you could get them at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, when you're feeding this many students, right now we're averaging about 142 cases of paper products in each location per week. Wow. So we're looking at truckloads and truckloads of paper products. We had a hard time finding basic supplies. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't only paper products. It was hand sanitizer, food handling gloves. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a point there where we couldn't get flour. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, because there was shipping issues. Uh, and it really impacted just about everything that we do. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had to work many weeks ahead Folks that were doing the purchasing were online, sometimes late at night. As soon as a product became available, they would order it. You weren't guaranteed delivery on anything. Mm -hmm. Products that you could obtain in three or four days took two weeks if you would get them at all. So knowing that and going into the academic year, we're fortunate to have a warehouse and a large commercial freezer where we could bring in products when they were available. And hold them until we needed them. So we started in the summertime to make sure we had at least six to eight weeks of supplies on hand before the students arrived. Wow. So. Wow. Was there any improvisation that happened if there were no supplies that had actually arrived at some time and you had to switch up a menu last minute? Yes. At the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, one of our vendors made a comment. He says, "You know, you need to be ready to pivot." He mm -hmm. says. Just have a contingency plan for everything that you're purchasing. Mm -hmm. And that was good advice. Mm -hmm. And we did just that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had alternate menus and products lined up if we could not get exactly what we needed. You know, our uh, purchasing guidelines require all our paper products be compostable. Uh, so trying to find vendors that could handle that volume uh, it was challenging. Yeah. Uh, and then prices and availability were all over the place. You really couldn't estimate. You, you didn't know it was going to happen from one week to the next. Mm -hmm. uh, but luckily, we started early enough and we had contingency plans for all those products. There were times when we were expecting a delivery and the day of the delivery, they said it's not going to come. <laughs> So by having that, that extra product on hand to get you by until you can make other arrangements was really necessary to, to be able to provide services. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And today, how are we looking? It's much better. Yeah. I mean, there's still shortages and it, lead times have increased substantially, but at least the product is out there. It's in the manufacturing stream. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, nobody was ready for the volume that these, uh, that the suppliers were gonna see. Mm. And they didn't kick up production. It takes a while for them to build up enough product and, and add the extra shifts on and at the, on the manufacturing side to be able to meet the demand. And then there was issues with transportation. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a long road in that respect. Yeah, wow. Well, people are starting to get vaccinated now, and I think COVID will slowly start to be phased out. I guess looking forward to the future, is there anything that has changed this year that you think was actually a pretty decent idea that you would want to continue going forward? What has been good that you want to take with you? 
Well, you know, looking at, at the operations, and as I mentioned, the cameras in the queuing area, mm -hmm. we've always had peak meal periods where a lot of people arrive at once oh, in these yeah. lines. And it was very difficult to identify that. We actually put up graphs a couple of years ago to identify peak meal periods on mm -hmm. certain days. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the graph in your hand at the time you want to walk <laughs> into the dining room, and you know, I wonder if it's busy. Uh, so that's something that we mm -hmm. hope we're going to maintain. Mm -hmm. And looking at the options that we're preparing, one thing I did notice what we lost during the pandemic was the ability to customize food. Mm. You know, you had the display cooking areas where you could select your own vegetables into a stir fry, yeah. or you could make your own waffle, or weekends you can create an omelet. That's, that left a big hole. Yeah. You know, we can't wait to get back to that and start offering those, those types of items again. Mm -hmm. um, the individual service that we had, your, your ability to talk to customers um, is just wonderful. I mean, mm -hmm. even this, this system that we're currently using here in Thorn Hall, uh, and as I mentioned, we move a lot of air in Thorn Hall, mm -hmm. the exhaust hoods on the opposite side of the serving line are very, very loud. Yeah. So mm -hmm. now we have staff and students talking through masks through a plexiglass barrier. Yeah. So when you're on the surfing line, you can't hear anybody. No. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, we were two weeks into the program and said, we need to fix this. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when we ended up putting the mics and yeah. speakers yeah. in the plexiglass on the surfing lines. Yeah. So yeah. you know, you were always adjusting as you, as you go forward. Yeah. Uh, but you know, realizing that we need to, we need to get back to that and be able to customize food because mm -hmm. uh, we're constantly changing the menus based on feedback that we're getting from, mm -hmm. from students, you know, things they want to see and or they hope to have and we're constantly making those adjustments. But basically they're asking for things that we always had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, great. Uh -huh. Well, our last question for you, and this is the question that we ask everyone on the podcast is, um, what does sustainability mean to you? You know, sustainability in dining services is having the least amount of impact on the environment and we usually start that starts right at the point of purchasing mm -hmm. you know there's decisions that are made so you can purchase product with less packaging and we actually push that in the industry mm -hmm. we we don't need a lot of packaging we want aseptic packaging in large volumes so we're not dealing with with a lot of containers you also have to look at your waste stream you know, pre and post and make sure that you're able to compost product and make sure that you're recycling and uh, you have the ability to do that in volume. I mean, we have some space limitations, mm -hmm. but we got a little creative with pickups and containers, we're able to get around that. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're gonna, see, you're gonna see that change as time goes on. When you start looking at new designs and new buildings and new processes, uh, it's becoming much more efficient. Mm -hmm. You know, being able to compost and, and recycle and reuse uh, are important aspects. I mean, all our waste oil, it gets turned into biodiesel and soap. Wow. And, and we were part of that program right from the, right from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and it's wonderful to see it, uh, how, it uh, how it changed and mm -hmm. prospered. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that perspective. And thank you for your time today talking with us. Yes. And thank oh, you for all the work that you have been doing yeah. for us. At Dining. <laughs> we are we're so appreciative of, of all you do. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're very fortunate. We have a great team.
Over the course of the spring 2021 semester, Green Tea will be sharing stories from students, staff, and community members around Bowdoin College. Stay tuned for more episodes, and thanks for listening!